So here is some good news if you've got a small gamer in the family. There's a new study from the National Institutes of Health that found kids who played video games for at least three hours a day performed better on cognitive skill tests than kids who didn't play video games at all. This feels like the kind of information that parents like me might want to keep to themselves, but do with it what you will. This is Pulse Check. I'm Chris Tamar. Here are a couple of headlines I'm watching. President Biden will receive the updated COVID-19 booster shot today. It has been more than three months since Biden contracted COVID-19, which is the amount of time the CDC says people may consider waiting before getting boosted. Republican Congressman Richard Hudson from North Carolina and Daryl Issa from California sent a letter to HHS raising concerns that there aren't enough smallpox vaccines in the strategic national stockpile. So this is an issue because that's not only a problem in the event of a biological attack, it also raises questions about whether the federal agency can keep the nation prepared for the next big health emergency. The congressman wrote that unlike monkeypox, smallpox has a 30% mortality rate and is considered by the U.S. intelligence community to be one of the most significant biological threats we face. The FDA is trying to get tougher on accelerated pathways to drugs after a preterm birth drug, McKenna, was pulled last week after being on the market for 11 years. The agency argued last week before an independent expert panel that it should be able to yank these drugs from the shelves. Medicare and Medicaid spent more than $18 billion from 2018 to 2021 on accelerated approval drugs that have yet to be verified as clinically beneficial to patients. And nearly three years into the COVID pandemic, there's a new report out that highlights the infectious diseases that didn't end in catastrophe, but could have. Daniel Payne is here to talk about the findings of the report and the three epidemics that might have been cholera, Ebola, and rabies. These are sort of, in some ways, the opposite of COVID, which by a lot of people has been seen as sort of a failure on a lot of fronts of global pandemic responses. But these are instances where the public health system worked as intended in some ways. It stopped outbreaks from spreading really far and and from killing more people than it would have otherwise. And it's also about improvement and these systems getting better over time and learning lessons from these diseases, from COVID, from others. Even if they aren't perfect, they can work in slowing a disease down, stopping more people from dying and stopping it from spreading to more places. And is the report looking at diseases that sort of didn't happen in the U.S. or mostly in other countries and other parts of the world? It's looking mostly at other countries, but the effect is global. One of the diseases that's talked about is Ebola, and a lot of people remember the concern about Ebola coming to the U.S. in the past decade, I guess I should say. And in this case, it's a system that has gotten better over time, and because of that, it didn't spread as far this time around. But, you know, the diseases are really quite a few different diseases from dengue, Ebola, influenza, Lots of variety and the type of disease and where it's found in the world. So, I mean, Ebola is a really interesting example because there is an active outbreak of Ebola in Uganda right now. What is it that the report says, you know, that was done in the public health response that prevented it from becoming a much bigger, scarier and more widespread problem? In some ways, I think it was just about the speed of action in the past outbreaks It's taken multiple months to detect the disease at all. 
and notify authorities. And in this outbreak, it took just a fraction of that time compared to just a few years ago. So it's clear that there is some progress being made here and some lessons being learned over time. And this is really at the heart of what this report is about, trying to make iterative progress instead of planning a a system that's going to work perfectly and that we can learn every single lesson from COVID-19 or from these other diseases. This is really about learning every day, every month, every year, where possible, and making the system better bit by bit, uh, instead of trying to plan a perfect scenario for when the next disease comes. Did the report talk at all about, you know, whether it's easier to do this for diseases that are known versus novel diseases? You know, I imagine that it's easier with something like dengue for people to be prepared and kind of like anticipate when that might be become an outbreak as opposed to something like COVID, which is just coming really out of the blue. Absolutely. I think that each disease is going to have its own challenges of how quickly can you detect it and how quickly can public health officials find out about it and message about it. Some of these challenges are disease specific. Some of them are going to be country specific and and the resources that are available. But I think the idea is to make a framework where no matter the disease or the country, you can set goals of how quickly you can detect a disease, get that information to authorities, and how quickly those authorities can respond to try to control an outbreak. The sort of work, the lessons learned and the way to make these systems better is also happening in the U.S., right? I I know that the CDC has been going through some plans to change and improve post-COVID. Yeah, you know, I talked to Dr. Rochelle Walensky with our colleague Erin Banko about this last week, and she is in the midst of a major overhaul of the agency. And a lot of that is a response to feedback they got about their response to COVID, which exposed a lot of the kind of systemic weaknesses and issues with how the CDC was able to quickly respond. And so Walensky is really looking at how to overhaul a lot of parts of the agency from how it kind of collects and reports data to Americans to how it writes public health guidance in a way that people will feel less confused by, you know, all the way to strengthening like laboratory systems so that we can do testing faster. So that effort is like very much underway in the U.S. And I think probably they are looking to replicate a lot of the systems that were deemed to be successful in the report that you wrote about. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of consideration on the country level of how these policies can work, how these systems can work more than sometimes these larger overarching kind of global strategies or global funds that are being used to try to prepare for the next pandemic. And and it's across the U.S. government too, right? HHS just Monday announced that it had awarded $21 million to try to improve health systems to prepare for emergencies in the future. Yeah, I mean, that was a really interesting release. And I think that it will be very interesting to see how that 21 million is used at the different healthcare facilities to really kind of create centers that are kind of eternally vigilant for all different kinds of threats. So that's something that we will have to keep our eye on. And especially you, Daniel, as you are our provider reporter. (laughs) (laughs) Something to follow up on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for talking today. Absolutely. Thanks, Krista. 
And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of Audio at Politico. I'm Krista Marr. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.